Good evening, everyone. My name is Jeff Cohen, and I am the host of an OU podcast called Saturday to Shabbos, where we love to learn about people with inspiring stories to share about their journeys to Jewish observance. Tonight is a truly special night, as it's our first ever live event. I'm truly excited to welcome our guest, Nisan Black. Thank you so much, Jeff. He's here tonight to share his personal story, and as a special treat, he's also going to perform for us. Now, I know you know his songs, but tonight you're going to learn about the man behind the music. How about a warm Farallon and Shomri tour welcome for Nissan Black? Thank you, thank you. Thank you. All right. Saturday to Shabbos. You're going to have to explain that to me. I'm somebody who grew up not religious, so yeah. it was called Saturday. Ah. And when you become observant, you now call it Shabbos. That's you right. got the name of the show. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. But this is tonight is about you. So okay. give everyone just a sense of where your story starts, where you were born and raised. So my story begins in a very far away land from here, called Seattle, Washington. Born as an inner city kid, witnessed a lot of violence growing up. It's a part of it. I seen both my mother and my father were both drug dealers. They were both musicians. Both my mother and my father pioneered rap, hip-hop in Seattle. So uh, I do this because of my yichus. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just grew up seeing a lot of, lot of different things. And as most people do, you become a product of your environment. I became a product of my environment very early on. So bring that to life a little bit. When you say product of your environment, like what your parents so, are doing and how that impacted you. So on a, any given day, you will come into my house. You'll see like... A, there's a lot of drugs, a lot of involvement going on, uh, gang activity. I would come home and see people in my house who had just gotten gunfights with bullets fresh in their body. I joined the gang already at like 12 years old. Wow. I was running with a street gang, smoking pot at nine. So can you, if you can imagine that uh, you live a very fast life. So I've seen a lot very early on. That was definitely early on. Let's talk about the religious side. What was your family doing religiously when you were young? They were religiously selling drugs, but <laughs> apart from that, my introduction to religion was Islam. My grandfather, who was a Sunni Muslim, now he had a really rough life himself. He spent most of his life, unfortunately, he spent in prison, and that's actually where he found Islam. He became a Sunni Muslim. He came to live with us when I was around eight years old, so that was a period in time where I prayed with him five times a day. He used to take me to the mosque with him. On Fridays, I would go with him to the mosque. And so from that point on, maybe until I was 13, maybe, if anybody had asked me on my religion, why I would say I was a Muslim, even though my grandfather had unfortunately ended up back in prison where he was for the rest of his life. Um, but that was the initial relationship that I had with religion. So by the time I was 13... I had a friend of mine who um, was very adamant about me joining him for this hip-hop program, which was at an after-school after program. The after-school program was a Christian organization, and, and it, it really was crucial for me at that point that I had some outlet to be able to express my gift and my talents because, to be honest, I wasn't heading anywhere fast, you know? Right. And so having that experience actually helped me, I think, a lot to be able to have a place to go there and write and what naturally happens is the more and more they reel you in, they reel you in, I ended up going to camp, and I converted to Christianity when I was 14. What's interesting about it, though, was you, you don't even realize as you're going through this journey, I didn't know anything about what happened in chronological order and different things like that, but it was almost like 
another garment of God that's being taken off, you know? Not that there wasn't talking to God. I don't feel like I was, it was, uh, you know, this was a different God and this was a, no, I feel like, you know, Hashem was sort of revealing himself to me in stages, in stages that I can take it. Okay, so as you're discovering religion, what's going on personally in terms of you mentioned being involved with gangs and drugs? Like, are you still right. dabbling in that or you've moved no, away so from that? No, so by the time I was 14, that camp experience I had at that Christian camp was radically life-changing. I came back, I stopped hanging around all the friends that I was with. It was good for me also, too, because prior to then, I was expelled from the Seattle School District. I wasn't allowed in the Seattle Public School. So after I had this transformation, it wasn't even a connection. When I came back from camp, I had a letter in the mail from the, from the you know, government there in Seattle allowing me to go back to regular school. So it was a new start for me. So my whole thing was that you know, all my middle school years, I got in so much trouble. I was expelled, and I was, uh, you know, I was in the principal's office more than the principal. So I figured that I was going to go into high school, and I'm going to be something different. I'm going to be a new guy. I'm going to be a quiet guy. I'm going to be totally chill. And some things are just not in your nature, right? So even I tried to pull it off. It, it worked for about four or five months or something like that. I can't remember how long it was. But we ended up doing a pet rally assembly while we were there. Now, mind you, everybody now at this point is just like, what happened to this guy? You know what I mean? They knew me before, but so they're like, what happened to this guy? You know, what's going to be? So they did a pep rally assembly, and they split us up by class. Freshmen, the underclassmen. So we lost in every competition. And the last competition they decided to do was a rap battle. And so everybody's trying to push me to go out, and I know that the moment I go out there, the quiet guy thing is over, all right? Uh -huh. Nobody's buying it after this. <laughs> But everybody in my class is like, you got to go represent us. You got to go. You got to go. So we ended up going. I went out. And uh, we won, safe to say. Shocker. Uh, <laughs> and after that, we were having a rap battle every single week. You know what I mean? So you talk about distracted. I was so distracted from, you know, almost anything spiritually at this point. Between that, I was on the, on the football team. And, and between that and school and everything, I got, you know, very, very, you know, involved in what I was doing. And it wasn't until my 10th grade year of high school, I remember coming in from my, from my lunch period, and I just had this moment. I don't even know still to this day how to describe it, but it was a moment where I was there, and I'm looking around at every single person. It just happened upon me, and I felt like I knew something nobody else knew. I felt that there was something deep going on inside of me, and I felt something inside telling me, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. I'm really tripping out. I haven't smoked anything since I was 13 years old. Right. So this is already 16 years old. I'm in my 10th grade. Yeah, yeah. So I'm having a total trip out when I'm looking around. And then after a while, you know, I always say I ate a chicken nugget and the whole thing stopped. But the truth was I, I took it as a message that God was trying to tell me something. I had no idea. So I ended up going back to the Christian Center that I was involved with. And I got involved in every single Bible study group, leadership program. I became a junior missionary. They gave me smicha. Um, <laughs> so I got very, very involved. And before you know, I had more than like half of the kids from my school going to these different programs and different groups and stuff like that. So shlichus. <laughs> really and, and what's going on at this point musically? Are you thinking that this can be my career? You mentioned your parents were in rap. Are you thinking this right. can really take off? So musically at this point, I was still producing like demos and mixtapes. I recorded my first professional song when I was 13 years old. So I would say I, I've been a professional since I was 13 at least. 
and I got like my first national press. It was a big hip hop magazine. That was the first press that I got, like international press. And so that was sort of what put me on people's radar. And then, um, you know, as high school goes, obviously the music couldn't sound as aggressive as it was because, uh, you know, I was giving Bible study classes. So what happened was around my, say, my 11th grade year, a demo of mine made it to the desk of the A&R talent scout at uh, Virgin Records. And the biggest thing in hip-hop at that time was a guy by the name of 50 Cent. Mm-hmm. We called him Fetsy Shekel in Israel. <laughs> and um, just, it went down, you know, inflation, you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so we ended up talking and having a conversation. And what they wanted at that time was something very similar to what was already popular, which was gangster rap, which was um, something very against where I at least was at that point. It wasn't something I was unfamiliar with, just something that would have been hard for me to do comfortably. In the end, they you know, waved a lot of money in my face, and I ended up biting the bullet. And I thought initially that I would just make the music, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't conform or change my life to, to fit it. But it was very, very hard for me. After a while, I started being very confused about who I was as an individual. Um, and it was very hard for me to maintain the two. So you thought it could be like a persona on stage and then you would come off a totally different guy. Because by the way, that's what most of these guys are doing anyway. <laughs> this is stage act, you know? It's like the WWE wrestling, you know what I'm saying? Like who buys that? That's real. So the same thing happens a lot in the rap world also too. But the problem is just like in that world and what was happening to me is after time, you morph into that what you're talking about. You know, in order to be convincing of the persona, I needed people around me all the guys I stopped hanging around before became my inner circle again. And that became, you know, my whole image, my whole everything. That Even though I was struggling on the inside, outside, they wouldn't be able to know. It looked like this was the real thing. So I would think this would have to come to a head at some point. Like, you can only have this disconnect for so long. So I would guess your popularity is growing musically, but Mm -hmm. what you're feeling inside is getting, like, stronger and stronger. So how how does that come to a head for you? So the way that it came to a head was, um, you know... Hashem himself is the master planner. As I was becoming more popular, there was another rapper who decided that he wanted to get himself out here. By the way, I should also mention that in between uh, this time I'm speaking about, I lost my mother of an overdose. My mother overdosed at 37 years old. I was 19. And I was in the studio the, the, the night that it happened, and it was very, very hard for me. So I, I sort of went into a stage of feeling very numb. It was so abrupt, so quick, and it happened, and it was such a shocker that I sort of, and, and, you know, we didn't have a such thing as Shiva, so I drowned myself in the studio and, and music to, in order not to think about it, right? And so it was very, very hard for me. And what happened after, as the popularity has taken place, I, I remember a few days after my mother passed away, I made a song for her. And it was on that first initial album that I released. So for many different reasons, the album kind of took off and got a lot of popularity and figured out who my parents were. So it was like hip-hop's love child, you know. (laughs) And so as this is starting to spread, this other artist, you know, he wants to get himself out there. Now, generally, what a person would do is like you just put more into your marketing dollars. Well, in rap, we have a shortcut. Shortcut is you diss whoever's getting the most uh, getting the most popularity. If you can get that person to respond to you, then more people are going to look at you, uh, no matter if you win or lose. Mm-hmm. So he said some things in the song about me that was not nice. It's very uh, 
Lushan Haradik. <laughs> and my initial response was that I would write a song back. And after I write the song back to him, then, you know, at, at that point, then we'll, you know, we'll keep the competition going. So a friend of mine walks in and he says, if you just go beat the guy up, he won't make any more songs. He's the type of chevra I was around, you understand? Right. So this is what we ended up doing. We ended up going, finding him at a nightclub. We get into this crazy fist fight outside the, the nightclub. And police come and break everything up. Unfortunately, a friend of mine went up after me and he tried to kill the guy with a wow. gun. And he was a horrible shot. He shot everything except for the guy, by the way. Fire hydrant, side of the curb. Everything got shot except for a person. So what ends up happening, he goes into custody. But now I have a major dilemma because now the other guys think that I sent somebody to take their life. And now they're thinking if they don't come and take my life, then I'm going to come and take them. So it put me in a compromised uh, situation. And I always say it was a kill or be killed situation. It was very scary for me. Right, so I can't even imagine what you're thinking at that moment. How am I going to get out of this? And like your life is like really coming to a head at this moment. Yes. So well, what did you ultimately decide to do? Very, very scary. So this is why I say Hashem has an amazing plan. And he knows how to reach every person. My natural response was prayer. I was in my living room, you know, after finding out what the whole situation was. And I just fell to my knees and I started crying and crying and crying. You have to understand, this was interesting. It wasn't like one of those things where like were... Christianity was a fad for me. I was really sick in it by the, when, I was, when I was involved, I was involved in it. I was trying to figure out for myself, as I'm sitting there and I'm crying, I start doing this reflection saying, how did I get here? A few years ago, I was like bringing people into Bible study groups and fellowship circles and leadership programs. I was building orphanages in Mexico. Like I was very, very involved. And then like all of a sudden I'm back in this type of situation and it's worse than it's ever been. Right, because now my life is on the line. So I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I always say Shim did for me a miracle. He made an ace. My phone rang after some time and it was the other guy. He also wanted to squash the whole entire thing. The reason why I say that's a miracle is because when you come from where I come from, you know how many situations could have just been put away if somebody would have picked up the phone and called? Right. So because I had that call, I realized that for me that was a sign from God that he was giving me a shot. To do something different because nobody ever calls you to like ask if you're trying to kill them or not. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> it's not a cash, you know? So so when that happened, I'm saying like this is for real. I, I felt at that point that God was listening to me. So we talked this man, we squashed everything, we put it behind us. But now I can't go back. You know, I put my life on the line for something I was pretending to be a certain way, right. and now it brought me to a kill or be killed situation and put my life on the line. So I was at home, and I was pacing back and forth, and um, by this point already, I was, uh, I, was, I was engaged to my high school sweetheart, which is my wife today. So I've been with my wife since we were 16, 17 years old. Um, and so this time, I was just in this state of like, God, you saved my life. What's next? What are we doing? Where are we going? What are we doing? What's next? And so I stayed home, and I was praying and praying and praying and praying. And all of a sudden, I just had this thought to, like, go pick up the Bible again, you know? So I'm starting to read it, and I'm just looking at it a little bit differently, you know? I'm starting from the beginning and braces, and I start to realize that I had a lot of questions even when I was in the Bible study groups, 
that I never had the answers for, which even which religion came first, was Islam, Christianity, Judaism. And so I started to order all the books. I had, you know, a few different versions of the Christian Bible. I had a Chumash, JPS Tanakh, reading the Quran. And I was sitting eight hours a day going between all these different texts. Eight hours a day. So I found myself very, like, uh, confused, obviously, as you can imagine, at the end of that. And then I started fasting. I was going three days at a time, no food. And I was going out crying, crying, crying my eyes to God. And I, I was getting to that point just because... These are a lot of things I was reading, right? So I didn't really have anybody telling me, like, hey, maybe you don't want to do that. And I was just, I was searching for God. And it was very, very hard and very heavy on me. But uh, during that time, I felt that Hashem was with me the whole entire time. Well, while you're doing the seeking, your, your musical career had taken off to this point. Did you have to, like, shut it down? Because the music's out there, your popularity is yes. there. So what are you doing about it? So the first thing that happened was, religiously, after I sort of, like, was going through my process of elimination, right? I didn't make my eggs in the Islam basket, but Christianity and Judaism was very hard, so I became Messianic first. That was the first thing I did. And I found a congregation that was maybe two miles or so from, from where I was staying, and it happened to be that this place was very traditional. So they had a real Sefer Torah, they diving out of Arts Cross Durham, most of the service was in Hebrew, and and I had absolutely no idea what was going on when I walked in this place. You should know. Wait, but did you think it was maybe the perfect blend of Christianity and like the beginning of Judaism that you were being exposed so, to and this could make it all work together? I, the truth is, is that the way that I'm wired, I guess I should say, is I'm a soul that craves authenticity, right? So for me, it's always trying to get back to the root of something. How did this happen? Now, only after I get back there, I can figure out whether or not it's something I actually need to make a part of my life. But I was starving for something more than what Christianity had to offer because I just went through this book twice. I, I understand that, that Hashem has a plan. I, at this point, I already know that the, the, that the Torah's emiss is true and, and I'm as well as Hashem's people. So I need to go there to be able to find what it is that I'm looking for. Meanwhile, music is happening. The more and more that I'm growing spiritually, I can't make these two worlds fit. Right. So I came to a point where I really felt strongly that it was time for me to retire, hang up my cleats, so to speak. So I remember meeting at, at one concert, and I remember looking at my business partner who also ran the label that we were with, and we had just did this deal. And I told him, I said, listen, I want this to be my last album. I'm done after this. I said, but you guys keep all the money. Anything that this next album makes is all of you guys's. You can keep the masters. I gave them the masters, lifetime. You can have everything. Only thing I wanted was that they didn't force me to perform on Shabbat or the Yamim Tovi. So I was working. I took a job that year working in uh, for property management, like as a facility coordinator. It's like that's not such a gishmak job. It's like the janitor and then the facility coordinator. You know, it's on the chain. But I got four raises and became one of the top leasing agents for that same company in the same year. The same year. So wait, and in this moment, you're thinking, this will probably be my new career. I've made peace with the fact that music was for that stage of my exactly. life. Exactly. I'm going to have this career, and I'm going to explore religion and see where right. it goes. Right. I thought. And it wasn't even so much so like, I, I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. It's just that I had to give up music. And in the way that I looked at it at this time, I said that, you know what? I'm doing this because I feel wholeheartedly this is what I need to be doing right now. But if not, then Hashem's going to have to send a malach and tell me to take the <laughs> knife and not to cut Yitzchak because this is my Yitzchak 
This is my Akeda, and I'm going to sacrifice this. Music was my life. It was my, my life. I used to go to sleep at 9 o'clock in the morning from pulling all night as being in the studio. I was obsessed with music, making music, and being involved in it. So for me, this was like giving up a piece of me. And I think I needed it at that time to be able to prove to myself and to prove to God that I'm on board. I will slaughter the most important thing in my life in order to follow you. And so that's what I did. And it was very good for me. It was cleansing for me because it helped me to gain and to gauge a better perspective of what music was. That it wasn't a means in and of itself, but it's a very powerful tool. So now going back to the religious exploration that you're doing, so... Amen. It's a Jewish podcast, dude. We've got to make a bracha. Very good. <laughs> Thank you for the tip. Okay, so we know that you're doing religious exploration. You're getting involved in Messianic synagogue, but everyone who's looking at you sees a strimal on your head. So I'm guessing something about what you were learning in the Messianic synagogue is not where you ultimately land. So what happens there, and how does the journey continue? Well, they didn't wear strimals. <laughs> well, the journey went from there was a major culture shock for me, right? I thought, you know, somewhere in the middle, maybe to be a little bit Jewish, a little bit Christian. This one was like way more Jewish than it was. But the more and more, I went to go learn to find out. Like, I went back to the internet, obviously, because Google happens to be one of the biggest going in the generation. So I went to Google.com, and I'm starting to now look up at things because now I need to figure out why these guys are doing all this stuff. What's Torah about? What's an oral Torah? I don't know any of it, you know what I mean? So I'm trying to figure out all of this. And so, like anybody else who looks up anything Jewish on the internet, I came to Chabad.org. So, <laughs> so I ended up on Chabad.org. I was there day and night trying to figure out what is what. And eventually that led me to go into uh, a Chabad on the east side. And I wanted to go for a Torah class. The rabbi invited us. We told him straight up, you know, this is what we believe. We just wanted to come. He said, as long as you don't come over here spreading the good word, you're okay to come here. So he let us come, and the more and more that I'm in between there, and I'm learning more and more, and by this time I'm starting to learn, you know, Shulchan Aruch, and I'm like, I need more, I need more. And um, they had this major conference, this is crazy. The first time they were doing a major Messianic conference for this certain uh, group of people, the first time they were going to do it in Seattle. They've done it every year in some other place, like hot and warm where it makes sense, right? <laughs> Like, you would never put the Super Bowl in Seattle, right? They did it this one year. And I remember, right before we ended up going to this conference, they told us, they said, whatever you do, don't talk to the Orthodox rabbis in the lobby. There's going to be Orthodox rabbis there. Don't speak to them. They're only going to try to debate with you and, and, and whatever. They're bad news. Stay away from these guys. Don't even say Shabbat Shalom. So me and my brother-in-law, because at this point it was me and my wife, my wife's sister's married to my best friend, and we were all on this journey together at this, at this point. So we decided, me and my brother-in-law, that instead of going to the conference and going in like, you know, regular people, we would just go and sit with the rabbis they told us not to for four days. <laughs> so that's exactly what we did. We came every day, we hung out with the rabbis there. It was Rabbi Michael Skobak from Jews for Judaism, and uh, Rabbi Eli Cohen, who's also his Lubavitcher Chosset, but... He, he also got very involved in anti-missionary work and now works for Jews for Judaism as well. So I'm there, and for the first time I'm asking, you know, rabbis all of my questions instead of Google, right? 
So I'm getting real-time response. They knew the New Testament very well, and I'm able to really talk to them and go deeper with them. And it was such a powerful um, experience for me um, talking with them. And I never ended up going back to the Messianic congregation. I, I went back home, and me and my wife were growing. I was moving faster than her, but we were more or less still on the same page where we were in terms of spiritually. And I remember the few days she came to me, she says, I want to convert. I'm like, really? You want to do this? Like, you know, she said, I want to convert. We're done with this. We can't. And I'm thinking, like, how that switch for her? Like, if she was the one in the beginning, that was very hard for her. But she had switched at this point. And I was excited but nervous because I was like, I grew up in Sewer Park. I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood, more or less. I never seen black Jews. Seen Jews in black, but I never seen black ones, right? <laughs> So I'm thinking to myself, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do? So Shem's Shgaka was amazing because I was in the self checkout on Arab Shabbos, and by this time I was already still wearing kippah, I had tzitzis, and there was a, a moment and break in between the self checkout where I heard Shabbat Shalom, brother, and I turn around, <laughs> and it's a black Jew, and he's standing in the in the in the store, and he's got a grin from ear to ear. And he invites me for Shabbos. His name is Yaakov London. And then he invites us another week. Another week. So we're back there. So now we know at least we're not the only ones, right? And we met more people. And they started to invite us more and more people for Shabbos. So we end up moving into the community. And we start growing. And there's no official, back then at least, I don't know what it's like in Seattle, but back then there was no official program really for gaming. So some people, sometimes it take five years, seven years, ten years, you know what I mean, for them to complete. Because as long as you're not pushing, nobody realizes that you're there. So we ended up finishing about two and a half years. And I had like a little secret that was in my pocket that I, I was always afraid to talk about, even in the, at, the, at least in the basin. Outside the basin, I didn't want I could bring it up, but whatever. I had a love for Hasidus. <laughs> <laughs> I was really, really into to the best loves of form. It was first thing was the Garden of Peace by Rav Shalom Arush. That book was life changing for me. And then I got the Garden of Amuna, and then then Enforced Fields from Rav Arush, and then he kept quoting Rabbi Nachman. So now I need to go check out Rabbi Nachman. So I think the first thing I tried was to learn the Lekut Maran. I'm not gonna lie and say I tried. I opened it, then I closed it. That's what I did because in the first few lines it was not for me. But then slowly it started to come into different breasts of form, like Meshiva Snefesh, uh, Restoring of the Soul, or, or The Outpouring of the Soul, Nefesh. And these books were life-changing for me, and they saved me. And when I got the Nefesh, and I'm seeing how much Reb Nachman's talking about his Bodhidus, and talking to Hashem, talking to Hashem, it resonated with me. That's how I discovered Judaism. So that was the, that was the one piece, I think, that really snatched me into, like, Breslov Hasidus was seeing the importance of talking to Hashem like he was your best friend, and that's that's what connected me. And then you mentioned in the supermarket there was another African-American, and right. then you connected, but like for me, when I was becoming religious, it was a lot easier for me to look the part. Like I could right. walk in the shul, put a certain afton on, I, I fit right in. What, what was it like for you? You mentioned not, that there's like not as many African-Americans in the community. What did that feel like? By the time I came and my brother-in-law sister-in-law came, it got it kind of got kind of thick. We're pe <laughs> peppering up the spot over there. Um, so the truth was that I didn't think about it. I just stopped thinking about color. I just, I didn't think about it. 
and nobody else was bringing it up, so why should I keep bringing it up? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Everybody told me it was going to be an issue. You know, when I was leaving the Messianic place, I, oh, they're not going to blah, 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 and they're not like this, and they're like that. And nobody knows because they're not from over here. Anyway, so I thought that I had to have some guard on about it, and I didn't. I didn't. I just stopped thinking about it. And nobody else made a big deal about it, so I didn't think about it different. And so I've interviewed a lot of people on the Saturday to Shabbos podcast who convert, and they usually start by converting to conservative Judaism. No. So did you understand the levels and like what you were getting into by, like you said, your wife was like, let's do Orthodox Judaism. Did you right. understand all the things involved with it? By the time we were ready to convert, we did understand that. Prior to, no, we didn't. We only knew there was one Judaism, a lot like a lot of our enemies. So <laughs> a lot of these different categories, everything's like that, we didn't think about them until much later on. By the time we were ready to convert, it was just sort of like, you know, I've been asked this when I'm around conservative people, which I have a great deal of respect and love for, but... I just went where Hashem was most popular. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Hashem was more, more, more popular by the Orthodox. And that's, <laughs> that's who brought me into this whole entire thing. So I went by him. So uh, that was sort of the way that it worked for me. Okay. And so you had made peace with the idea that maybe your musical career was done, but that's not how your story ends up. And you also get a new no. name. So how does, how does music <laughs> and a new name come into your life? So what happened is, this is right around the, the time we were finishing our games that I was having a lot of people at this time in my life pushing me, telling me, you need to make music again. Namely, my wife, my best friend, and a few other friends that I stopped hanging around. They just called me randomly and was just like, man, you need to be making music. I, even if it's inspirational stuff. And, and one friend told me, like, man, I had a dream you are making music. Like, it was like a, it was a crazy time where I felt a lot of pressure, which was interesting because it was at the same time where a lot of other known Jewish artists were not able to hang on to the faith. It was the exact time that all of this was happening. Some people know of one person, but it was like at the same time that per- it was like four or five other people that you know weren't as big that I knew of that were just like that year. So I'm like, if this isn't proof not to go back, then I don't know what else is, you know. Nice. So for me, initially, I fought it. I fought it, and then what happened was my son ended up getting sick with meningitis. Um, he was four. I think it was maybe four months old, and very very scary. Very very scary. And um, I just read in, in one of the books from Rabbi Shalom Arush that when you need a major Yeshua, you should try to dive into Hashem for six hours straight. Mm-hmm. And we pull the Yeshua. You can bring a Yeshua from there. And so I went home and I dived for six hours straight. And I had a breaking point in the end where in this state, I would say, of meditation, where I'm hearing all these voices of people, not literally voices, but of everybody was telling me during that time. Because my question is all the time, is like, Hashem, why would you do this? What am I doing that I should be doing? Or what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing in my life at this point that you would allow this to happen to me? It was going through a financial time. Everything was just like coming to a head. And I thought about this old microphone that I had. It's an NT2 Rhodes. The microphone was dead, didn't work anymore. But I hang on to it, you know. So I said to Shem, if this is what you want me to do, if this is coming from you, I need a big siman. I need something that is groundbreaking. And I thought of this microphone. I said to Shem, if you make this microphone work, then I'm going to take this as a sign that this is from you. So after I was done praying, diving, I hooked up the microphone, and it works, like instantly, that microphone worked. So I said, never mind, Hashem. <laughs> it works already. No, I'm joking. Um, I'm joking. I'm joking. So what I did, though, I was very afraid still. So I, I went to my, my Rebbe, Rabbi Shmuel Brody, who's uh, 
because he's originally from Silver Spring, he's now in Baltimore. And I went and told him, you know, what happened. I had been discussing with him a little bit that people were pushing me in that way. And he was also very reluctant and unsure. And I went and talked to him, and it took about two hours of Musa, you know, straight up, Missy Light, you shine. And he gave me a bracha to, to, go, to go back into it, and that it should be good. And I was also in touch at this point with the Rabbi Laser Brody, also too. They happened to both be from Silver Spring, uh, but he was in Yerushalayim at the time. And uh, I was very scared, very scared. I, and I, I will say that I tiptoed back into it. It wasn't something that I went like full on force. It may look that way on the outside, but I was so afraid because rap has become such an arrogant sport. You understand what I mean? So it's very hard to try to make these two worlds that feel so different together. So that was a struggle for mine, of, of, of mine. I just went back to working with all the old company and every people that I knew, but I kept on getting pushback from all the marketing team. Same people that I was on MTV, BET, and all that. I went back to the same team, the same machine that had pushed me into success because I left at the height of my success. I was you know, charting very high on college radio and BET, like I said, and MTV had my single in full rotation. And this was the point that I left, so I'm thinking... Let's just go back and let's go do it. But now it's clean. It's inspirational and all that. And I kept on getting back and going, like, listen, this is like way too inspirational for <laughs> what we're doing over here. You know, like, they just couldn't do anything with it. It's like, nobody's, by, it's just too, you know, not enough, you know? And so that was hard for me. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I, I felt at least that I'm in the, back in the circuit of making music. This is what I felt that Shim wanted for me. So that's what I'm going to do. But it was hard because I was still struggling. I wanted to grow more spiritually. And for me, it was hard to make these two worlds fit. So it wasn't until sometime later, and I ended up getting a call from a friend of mine. His name is Elon Cohen. Elon had a very interesting story. He himself worked at a major record label before his shuva. He discovered some, some singer named Lady Gaga or something. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, he ended up, right before he could sign her, he went to Israel on a birthright trip, mm-hmm. had a transformative experience, and he never, he didn't end up going back. Wow. And he stayed there. And she made, like, a lot of money that next year, but whatever. <laughs> he had Torah mitzvahs, you know? So he ended up, uh, you know, years later, you know, playing and dibbling and dabbling with music, and, and he, he reached out to me and wanted to record a few different songs. And then one day he called me and said... Uh, have you ever heard of the song Hashem Elech? And I told him, yeah, I heard of the song. Mm-hmm. He said, would you do a remix to it? I said, yeah. And he said, okay, I'll call you back. So he gets off the phone with me, calls God, God Elbas, God Elbas. <laughs> and <laughs> they just got that, by the way. They got it, yeah. Okay. And then he calls me back. He says, God said, let's do it. So we ended up making the song, and it was very, very powerful the way that it all came together. But that was probably my way back in of me realizing and knowing, okay. Hashem, this is how you meant to do it. This is right. how you meant to do it. So I'm going to ask you two last questions, and then we're going to give the audience a chance to ask me some a few questions that you might come up with. Um, you didn't mention how you came up with the name when you got back into it, that you had to have a new stage name. Okay. I named for not a stage name. The name came before the stage came back. So what happened was, I was going through a few different names. Originally, my non-Jewish name was Damien. But before they named me Damien, they named me Joshua. For like the first 10 minutes of my life, it was Joshua. And uh, I don't know who came in. My father says it was him. My godmother says it was her. So it's a machloikas. Who changed it to Damien? But 
But Joshua was the original name. So I thought maybe Yehoshua, maybe, you know, a few different names I'm going through. Because I know I was going to the base then soon. And so Allah, you can't have it written on your ketubah if it's not a name you're known by, you know, for an extended period of time. And so I, uh, I was going through all these different names. And I don't know how Nisim came, maybe because I think one time I was in a social hall. I seen a very strong guy with that name, you know, on an old picture or something. I don't know where it came from. But the name Nisim popped into my head. And it started to compete with all the other names, you know. And I remember I was just so, like, you know, obsessed with it after a while. That I was like, I can't find my name, you know. Mm -hmm. So at the end, I asked the what do you want, you know. Like, what's my name? Mm -hmm. I ended up going to the the shul early. It was uh, before Menchon. I'm sitting there, waiting. Nobody's in there except for me. So I said, Davante Hashem on my name. And I'm praying to him on the name. And I I, I specified, I said, which names and whatever. Clock at 7 o'clock, people were going to come in. It was during the summertime. And I put my hand behind to grab a door, and it said Nisim on it, right there on the front of it. Wow. Now, the truth is, they say, because brought down the Gemara, it's definitely brought down the Hasidic support, <laughs> that at the time that the parents name a child, it's Opi Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit is given unto the parents in order to name the child, right? So I was my own parent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I I knew it afterwards because I didn't realize until years later. I just had my birthday this past week, which was on Zion Kislev, which is during the month of miracles. Kislev is the month of miracles, and not only that, my second time I was born again when I was Magaya was Yud Zion Adar. Mm-hmm. So in both months that are called month of miracles, mm-hmm. I came into being. Okay, so last question I just wanted to ask you. Everyone's on a journey, but yours has like some seriously dramatic twists and turns that wouldn't be common for someone who's growing in their Jewish observance. What do you take away from your whole story, looking back from starting in Seattle and the family you came from to where you are now? Like, what do you think the journey was meant to all be about? So the journey is for me, I think we spoke a little bit about it yesterday, was one of the biggest things I've always been fascinated by was that it says in Tanakh and in Torah itself a few times, in order to describe the spiritual success of that person, heard about David and Melech, heard about Yishmael and Avi, it always says afterwards, and Hashem was with him. And I remember reading and going through, because I took the Tanakh at one point, after I figured out that this was my path, the Yiddish guy was my and I set it down. I said, Hashem was starting over. I'm reading this book. I only want to know your character. I want to know what you love. I want to know what you hate. I want to know, you know. And so when I got to that point of me going through, and I kept saying that Hashem was with them, I said, Hashem, I want them to say that about me too. Right. And these same and Hashem was with them. So the biggest thing that, I, that, that I've taken away my whole entire journey is that I was implanted with this yearning that it should be said that Hashem was with him. And looking back on my life, I can look now and see every single moment of these different things, and all the siyata tishmaya, I mean, we all could, if, we, if we're if we paying attention, to see all the siyata tishmaya, help from heaven that I had, along the whole entire journey, and I see Hashem's been with me, mm-hmm. he's been with me, so now I just take out insurance policy, to <laughs> make sure that he stays there, you know, to Hashem, but uh, that's the biggest thing for me. Beautifully said, so we're now going to take a few questions from the audience, so if you want to ask a question, raise your hand, Rabbi Markowitz is going to find you with the wireless mic. From there, we're going to have a short intermission, and then, of course, the concert. So, Rabbi Mark, it's up to you to pick some people for questions. 
Hello, good evening. Your lyrics really speak to me. And I'm wondering, a lot of them seem to me to be prayers. And I'm wondering if you have that anywhere in your mind as you write your lyrics. That's a very good question. So I have a practice of every day to meditate and to talk to Hashem. And something powerful about when a person sets aside that time, that even after you're done praying, some of those words, they stay in your mouth throughout the day because you're speaking the desires of your heart. So it's on this. So when I go into the studio, for instance, and I'm listening to music, sometimes I'm very conscious of the fact that I want to give people the words. Everybody struggles with talking with Hashem. Everybody struggles, you know, at, at some point, no matter how much you do it or how, much, how little you do it, there's a lot of times where we all struggle. And so for me, I came to realization that I need to give the words. I need to be able to give the words of what to say and how to talk and what to say to Hashem, you know? And what better to do it over a song that nobody's, like, <laughs> paying attention. They're singing all the time. Um, so a lot of it is, a lot of the words I always say come out of this time of, of seclusion that I have with God. And I speak to him, and then sometimes they come back, and they just they pour out of me by way of song. Hi, I'm Leah Miriam. I'm Jewish and Asian. I guess I was wondering, like, do you have any messages for other Jews of color, like uh, some kind of inspiration and stuff? Yeah. It's very hard for me because the truth is, is that color's a reality in a world that's called the Alma de Shikra, a false world. You understand what I mean? Ultimately, it's been one of those challenges for me, this in particular, because it's like, how do you see yourself? How do you describe yourself? Are you a black Jew or are you a Jew? I think the, the starting point always is, is that put your Yiddishkeit first, because there's no color on that. There's no color on your Yiddishkeit in your relationship to Hashem. Mm -hmm. And I found that the less I focus on my vertical relationship, the more and more I have issues with the horizontal things, right? Like the less I'm focused on that, I have more issues in the horizontal, which are things of colored in the way things that people deal with in the physicality of the person. The more and more I'm focused on my relationship with Hashem, I surpass and it doesn't bother me if I, if I do encounter a little bit, which I've encountered a little, not a lot. I think that's the biggest thing is keeping our eyes on the prize and not allowing that to be something that catches us up. Like, you know, I always say, you know, I don't know a white Jew myself. Every Jew, if you're white, you could be white passing. But, you know, for sure in Europe, they didn't treat anybody like, hey, we're all the same color, guys. Let's, let's, you understand? You could be white passing. You could be dark. You could do all these other things. But the main thing is, like, when you describe a person, is a shim with them? Is a shim with her? Is it, you know? And so that's sort of the thing is, I think is most important to focus on on the vertical, the relationship with the shim. Okay, we got our final question. Blend with Mendy on a lighter note. What rapper do you look up to? What rapper do I look up to? It's <laughs> a very good question. I mean, it's like almost like whoever's Shliak Tsipur that morning, right? Because we're <laughs> rapping the tefillas every day. No, nobody's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I don't know if there's so many rappers I look up to anymore. You know, I grew up with the typical rappers, the, the Jay-Zs, the Nas, the, the Biggie Smalls. That's, those were sort of my era of 
looking up to people as monumental. And even a guy I won't mention inside the show anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's very, very instrumental in my, in my musical growth. But today, it's very hard to say that there's somebody I really look up to. Fair enough. And that's the one we will end on. So I just Thank you guys say, so much. I just want to say... On behalf of the Orthodox Union, Fairlawn and Shomri Torah, Nissan Black, thank you for joining me on Saturday Shabbos. Thank you, thank you. It's all for the king. Fairlawn, New Jersey, make some noise. Everybody up, on your feet, let's go. Everybody up, everybody up. Ready for Nice and Black! Questions on the table, yes, and they want answers if I'm able. Yeah, yeah. 
Mr. Black, do you got a caption? All the skinning of the Jacksons. Did you read Wally on Twitter? Shut the feed. None of them considered. Yeah, they made me shrunk when I'm bigger. Yeah, so I move on, I won't listen. Why? Cause I work for the boss. So I'ma win cause he rigged it. All of us predicted. I go swat the bitch and then he whipped it. Yeah, speaking on the no tickets. Yeah, God touched me so I'm gifted. Yeah, I got plans to make a dance. I came here to make a move. I know this feel familiar, but this is a brand new group. Can't hear you, fella. Not Gila. How about the Gila? They make the Fila. How about the Gila? They make the Fila. How about the Gila? They make the Fila. Okay, you guys repeat after me. Repeat after me. Here we go. Let's say. Hava, Hava, the Gila. Hava, 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 the Gila. Hava, 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 the Gila. Hava, 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 the Gila. Hava, Hava, the Gila. Hava, 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 the Gila. Fella, make some noise! I'm not gonna lie, I was like so dizzy in the back before I got up here. Now my adrenaline's going. I'm good. Hatala, stand, stand there, stand there. Spread your wings. Here we go. We can't go until we're flying. We gotta fly, and we, we can't take off without wings. Huda, let's take him. Let's take him. You guys ready to go? I wanna fly, fly away, far, far away Wait, from wait, this place, place. Where nobody can bring me down. Bring me down. Come on, let's go. Let's see those wings. Can bring me down. I wanna fly, fly away, far, far away wait, wait. from this place where nobody can bring me down. Ten, 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 ten. One, two, one, two, three. Jump, jump. Yeah. Uh, we are the light we shine on. It's a delight we cry on. With joyful tears, I know a place away from here. Here. I wanna go, I wanna know what's my purpose, topless. I wanna show, I wanna glow, my inner greatness, not fear. Nobody knows my pain, but I'm ready to make a change. Thus, here's my heart of anger. We place and rearrange it. See, I need freedom for me to be all I can be. Can look from heaven and see. I chose to leave it in me. Fly, fly away. Yeah. 
This is the moment to make a blanket statement But I changed my mind, I can't relate it I'm on a quest for greatness For now I'm learning patience Then the shaman inside is filled with many places A mink dash me out Lifting the curtains up, breathing, seeing the inner spot The inner chamber, my heart is racing, my only thought is to hold to this moment and then I let it be That place I was looking to be Was here inside I of me I wanna fly, fly away Where nobody can Bring me down, bring me down I can't hear you, fella You gotta sing the song I wanna Get to this next song. Ooh, I'm ready. You guys ready? You guys gonna help me? You gonna help me? Need a lot of help. Here we go. This is the world makeover. Mashiach will come take over. You ain't gonna be me. I'll see what I see. All you gotta do is take a look forward. Lift up your eye to the sky. Spread out your hands. Thank you. Smile. Get them up. Get them up. Leave them up. High high. Yep, yep. Pump up the value. DJ. Tend and play. Heart breaks and no words to say. Pressure building. Trying to hold my face. My mind is drifting like not today. Wake up from MVP. Break out your show and scream. High shit. Say high shit. Cool up. I share my love. I share my I 
Got my friend, we gone. We praising our ship with all of our soul. The cleaver is fighting, we know. We making a war, we won't let them go. Even if the world don't turn, the fire will burn. The ace count me a cool bunch some sacrifice. Yeah, put ace on me, we clap and lamp. Even now, we're gonna take that crown. Bring it back straight to the king. Then we bow, not who can bleed. Now we stand in the Let's take it Okay, guys, you guys can help me out with this last song? Yeah! It's a shame. I need help, I need help. Who the last rap? You know the words, sing along, and if you don't know it, act like you know the words. <laughs> Here we go. Lights up from side to side. Let me see you wave your lights from side to side. Hey, lights up from side to side. Hey, hey. Everybody sing along. It's my hope that I know you. My desire that I show you, gratitude that I owe you. Look, cause I was in that creeper's no gone till you came and dust off and revealed my spark. I was searching for the essence of existence, wanted to find you, but I didn't see an entrance. I came from a distance where everything was different. I called out to you when you showed me that you listened. From then we became best friends and I gave my all to you and you showed me who I am. And so I am staying by your side to bask in your light. And your mercy, I reside like time. Everything I needed more, more, nothing more, nothing less than going to and fro. Trying to hear your voice from heaven and your direction. I climb, but I fall flat like bread with no leaven. Yeah. Please come pick me up. Pick me up. 
Thank you guys so much. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit TachlisMedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.